So yes, this is one of those things I don't enjoy doing, and that's um, talking about selling something or promoting something. But here I am. Um, I do have a book that I have released in the last few weeks um, that is part Lenten devotional, uh, part meditation or memoir on the death of my father, and and a lot about how our images or ideas about God change over time, and especially after going through an, a difficult experience. Uh, if any of that sounds like something you might be interested in, check out Unless a Grain of Wheat Falls, A Dying Father, A Changing Son, and A Lenten Journey. Uh, you can find it on Amazon.com. Um, if you happen to be local to me, you can hit me up, and I probably have some paperback copies that I could hand to you as well. The only way out is through, on drawing close to the pain, approaching with love instead of hate. Say, a uh, reading from a recent Medium post. My wife tells me that I should have seen it before, that it was clear to her. This is not the first time that she has been right. I am quite sure it will not be the last. She is referring to my baking specifically the way that over the last year or so I have taken to making sourdough loaves. My sourdough starter is made from wild yeast, as they call it. This wildness means that I left a container open on the counter to collect the yeast in the air of our home, allowing it to settle into the flour and water to find a home there to grow, to ferment. The starter required feeding, more flour, more water, until the bubbling starter became the source, the beginning of many loaves of bread that have fed me, my family, my friends and neighbors. Yet while my wife is pointing to this bread, she is also showing me how it is related to the title of my book, Unless a Grain of Wheat Falls. And to be honest, I had not seen it. The book grew out of the prolonged death of my father, a man who was a farmer who grew wheat in addition to corn, soybeans, and peanuts. The book explores his death through the themes of the Christian season of Lent, itself a prolonged dying that prepares us for the resurrection and new life of Easter. The title refers to a recurring scripture in this season, that unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. There is a deep spiritual truth that unless there is death, there cannot be new life. Without the planting of that kernel of wheat, there is no new growth no harvest, no flour that I then can combine with water and salt and my wild starter. Then there is the kneading and shaping the resting of the dough until it can be baked and provide nourishment for others. Writing the book meant moving close to my own wounds. 
I knew this, I suppose. Drawing close to where one hurts is not easy, yet as a clinician I have walked with many people as they encountered their wounds. Having one patient tell me very bluntly, the only way out is through. She was right. I have searched for the origin of that phrase, the only way out is through. While one person argues that it goes all the way back to Shakespeare and Macbeth, I found a poem by Robert Frost entitled A Servant of Servants, where the line is used directly, although there is a bit of a twist there too. The narrative within Frost's poem is one of a woman whose husband has moved her to new land and a new promise, at least according to him. She describes her husband, known as Lynn, as one who tends to see the positive, that as she is struggling and has been to see the doctor, Lynn says that the best way out is through. Reading from the poem, Lynn says one steady pull more ought to do it. He says the best way out is always through. And I agree to that, or in so far as that I can see no way out but through, least ways for me, and then they'll be convinced. But you see, I can't help but notice that subtle turn for her, this narrator in the poem. Her husband implies that there is a choice about how to proceed, yet our narrator does not see a way back. From her eyes, she says, I can see no way out but through. Facing our wounds... Our brokenness and our hurt is not easy, but walking through that pain, a pain which may feel like dying, a pain which may signal the death of something in us, may be the only path to new life. This drawing close to our wounds also reminds me of some of what I have learned and experienced through mindfulness meditation. While we tend to begin with simple breathing and noticing events around us, there is a shift to observing the thoughts that arise in our minds. Some of those thoughts can be pleasant or distracting, but for many of us, other thoughts can be painful and difficult. And when we get close to the painful thoughts, our tendency may be to become defensive or to brace ourselves. Many of us feel this in our bodies, in the tightness of chest or muscles. As I have written before, anxiety is a body event. When we feel fear, we want to fight or to run. It is hard to draw close in those moments. Yet that is what we attempt to do as we encounter these difficult thoughts in meditation. We allow the thought to be there. While we may not have chosen to have the thought arise, we can choose to draw close to it, to observe it. In that moment, 
We can acknowledge the hurt, sometimes the very physical hurt that is there. These thoughts are not our enemies. Our pain can be our teacher, and moving close to our wounds can lead us to new life. For the last few weeks, I have been facilitating a Sunday school class at our church, using Parker Palmer's A Hidden Wholeness, and leading those gathered in that community in group spiritual direction. In those times, we have had various arrangements where we sat beside each other, taking turns listening deeply and responding gently. We have moved to sit in front of each other, then eventually to small groups where each is given the chance to speak, to share deeply of where they may be in their own spirits. This last week we read a portion of Jean Vanier's Community and Growth about Jesus' command to love your enemies. Vanier writes, Our enemies frighten us. We are incapable of hearing their cries, of responding to their needs. Their aggression or domination stifles us. We flee from them or wish that they would disappear. Fanier continues, In community we are called to discover that the enemy is a person in pain and that through the enemy we are being asked to become aware of our own weakness lack of maturity and inner poverty. Perhaps it is this which we refuse to look at, the faults we criticize in others are often those we refuse to face in ourselves, those who criticize others in the community and seek an ideal one are often in flight from their own flaws and weaknesses. They see the piece of straw in the eye of the other, but seem completely unaware of the log in their own. They refuse to accept their own feeling of dissatisfaction, their own wound, Anier says. Many times we do focus on the enemy as some external threat, something out there. But part of what Vanier points to is how the enemy lurks in us, too, and is connected to our own woundedness. Part of learning to love others is drawing close to those places in our own selves that seem difficult to love. This last Sunday's readings included this section from the Sermon on the Plain where we are told to love our enemies. And yes, It is a part of the path toward healing and wholeness to see the pain in the other, to cultivate compassion for them and for their wounds. But loving others is connected to loving ourselves. Forgiveness of others is connected to forgiving ourselves. In this, I am also reminded of the loving-kindness or befriending meditation and mindfulness. There, too, we begin by learning to love self, then moving out gradually to love others. It is my hope, as the calendar moves toward Lent, that I can approach my own self with openness, acknowledging hurts and weakness, but drawing close to the wounds 
with love and compassion, not defensiveness and fear. My prayer is that we all will be able to know that love for ourselves, but then be able to share that love with others too. There may be some dying to self along the way, but that is the journey. The only way out is through, through the gathering of wheat, the grinding of the kernels and the flour, the gathering of the yeast in the air, the bubbling, the kneading, the resting, and finally the baking and sharing with others. As a note of explanation, I am a clinical social worker, and I work in a fairly rural area with few clinicians. So if you're a licensed mental health professional like me, it is a place where you can still make a good go of it in private practice. But what that also means is that you will work with a wide variety of people, even more so if you are willing to and competent working with children. For me, I see children, adolescents, and adults with a few older adults and couples thrown in too. It can make for a fun and varied day in the office. If you're listening to this recording and it's helpful, I'm glad, but um, please know that listening to something like this, while it may be educational and helpful, is no substitute for seeing a clinician. So I hope that you're able to find somebody in your area that, uh, that you feel a good alliance with and can be helpful to you.